Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All of these things happen to all of us from time to time and they're normal and they're even healthy. There are circumstances in which we would want to have each of these responses. However, when they happen in situations where they're not warranted and when they happen repeatedly, when they seem to be our go-to, that's something that our body is telling us. There's dysregulation in this system. I'm responding to normal life events like the house is on fire and I need to do something to change that. That was Rebecca Ladine on Psychologists Off the Clock. We are four clinical psychologists here to bring you cutting edge and science-based ideas from psychology to help you flourish in your relationships, work, and health. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado. I'm Dr. Diana Hill, practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California. From coast to coast, I'm Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, a Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University. And from sunny San Diego, I'm Dr. Jill Stoddard, author of Be Mighty and the Big Book of Act Metaphors. We hope you take what you learn here to build a rich and meaningful life. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. You guys, we have a super exciting announcement here at Psychologists Off the Clock, we are hosting our first annual Psychologists Off the Clock Wise Mind Summit, How to Adapt and Thrive in Today's Challenging Times. And we are bringing incredible experts on all different topics to help you flourish in your work, parenting, relationships, and health. So Diana, tell us about this incredible lineup. We have two full days lined up for you and cover everything from growing the good in your brain and your life to how to build more movement into your life, how to build more self-care, navigating the demands of work, parenting, and partnership, how to empower our kids during challenging times, and how to help you with healthy habits, especially during a pandemic. And it's going to be fantastic. All four of our co-hosts are going to be presenting in addition to Michael Harold and some people that we really admire and, and want to hear from again, including Alex Payne, Robin Gobin, Julie Lithcott-Holmes, Rick Hansen, Katie Bowman, and more. Our summit takes place on Friday, January 29th and Saturday, January 30th. The first 300 registrants will be able to register for free and will continue to release free tickets as we get donations and additional sponsors. And after that, tickets will only be $8 just to cover administrative fees. So we hope you will join us. We're really excited. You can check it out on our website at offtheclockpsych.com. We're thrilled. We all know there are trade-offs in life, like having to drive a little further to save on gas or groceries. But when it comes to your health, you shouldn't have to trade off. So don't go back to that one doctor who's always late and rushes through your appointment just because they're close by or they take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. You can search by location, availability, insurance, literally no trade-offs here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. 
ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. My kid's pediatrician is retiring this summer, so you can bet I will be using ZocDoc to find someone new who we all love and trust. So go to ZocDoc.com POTC and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash P-O-T-C, ZocDoc.com slash P-O-T-C. Our sponsor today is Uplift Desk, creators of office furniture designed to help you work better and live healthier. I love my Uplift standing desk. It's solid and sturdy and allows me to easily transition from sitting to standing while I work with just the push of a button. The ability to switch from sitting to standing throughout the day has been a complete game changer for me. I feel so much better than when I sit all day, and it helps me stay alert when I get tired. In addition to standing desks, Uplift offers ergonomic office seating, storage systems, even walking treadmills for your desk. Everything you need to up your office game. You can get free shipping with no hassles, free 30-day returns and return shipping, and a 15-year warranty. Remember, by supporting our sponsors, you are supporting the podcast. Visit upliftdesk.com slash POTC for 5% off your order. That's U-P-L-I-F-T desk.com slash POTC to get 5% off your entire order. We partnered with Praxis Continuing Education here at Psychologists Off the Clock because we really value our own continuing education. And I know, Jill, you've participated in a number of Praxis events. I have. Praxis is my favorite. I think probably the most memorable was when I participated in an ACT boot camp after I'd already been learning and doing ACT for about 15 years, and I still got so much out of the training. I have a memory of Steve Hayes jumping off of a phone book to demonstrate how small your committed action can be. And sometimes I'll bring up that memory and use it with my clients. And that's probably from 10 years ago. The Praxis also continues to evolve and change over time. It integrates new therapies as they come out. It has trainings in compassion-focused therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy and radically open DBT. If you go to our website at offtheclockpsych.com and visit our sponsorship page, you can get a coupon for $25 off. So check it out. It's Debbie. I'm bringing you this episode today on stress and overwhelm with a body-based therapist and author named Rebecca Ledine. And she's going to talk to us about the stress response and offer us some mind-body practices for responding to stress. And stress is all around us right now. Diana, I know you had some thoughts Yeah, what a perfect episode, Debbie, to release right now during the holidays, pandemic, numbers are going up. We're not only super stressed, but uh, we're collectively stressed and it's been chronic. And I like to turn to the APA Stress in America report, which I've been doing over these past episodes, because it actually normalizes things for us a bit that if you're feeling stressed right now, it's understandable. Uh, According to that report, 8 in 10 adults, 78% say the coronavirus pandemic is a significant source of stress in their life. And it's impacting our behaviors. Half of adults say their behavior has been negatively effective. And some of the most common experiences that people are noticing are tension in their body, snapping or getting angry really quickly, unexpected mood swings, and screaming or yelling at a loved one. I think all of those could describe my past week and some of the most common experiences I'm hearing from clients. How about for you, Debbie? Yeah, I mean, I'm hearing it so much, the word overwhelm from so many clients right now. I think people are already busy with so many different pressures. And then you add the pandemic and all this 
the other stressors in the world, it just feels like a pressure cooker. And yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about your recent episode on sleep, which I loved, highly recommend, and how in general my sleep's been okay, but I had a night the other day where I just woke up and all the weight of everything just you know, hit me in the middle of the night and I could feel the stress flowing and a million things hanging over my head. I just, I think overwhelmed is the word Mm -hmm. that I would use. And it was the middle of the night as usual. How about you? Yeah, I feel overwhelmed a lot of days. And for me, it's really impacting some of my interactions with my family. I'll homeschool in the morning and then see clients and then have all my emails and all make dinner, all the things that we used to not have to do as much as we have to do right now. Everything is a little bit harder. And just yesterday, I came up from work and my littlest said to me, he wanted to tell me the story of Hanukkah. And I looked at him like he was asking the most demanding <laughs> task of me, like like to do his taxes or something. And I felt so bad because I could see the disappointment on his face, right? That we're not only are we feeling overwhelmed and stressed, but we're there's these spillover effects that when we get stressed, we spill it over to our family or maybe other people at the grocery to- store, and we're co-regulating each other in this stressful way. But I, what I liked about the episode and, and Rebecca's approach is that she takes more of a body-based response to stress, which I think can be really helpful right now. And I think there's different aspects that I'm using both with myself as well as with my clients to do more body-based work to help with the immensity of the stress that we're feeling. Yeah, I mean, I think I I would not describe myself as a somatic therapist like she is in that sense, but I I bring those body practices in as well more and more over the years, just tuning in to the body as a source of information. And also there is something about doing that that really shifts the perspective to some other information because when we're stressed, we tend to be just so much racing through our minds. And there's something about tuning into the body that can just really help sort of ground you in the midst of the chaos of life. Yeah, I feel like one of those bobblehead toys where your head is so, so big and you're just walking around all in your head and then forgetting to to go into our body. And I think that doing some embodiment check-ins throughout our day, and sometimes I'll do this with clients just throughout our session, of noticing what's happening in your body, the stress, the tension, being aware of it to get you out of your head and more into your body can be really helpful. I also think it can be really helpful to have those embodiment check-ins because it can help us with being more aware of our needs. And Rick Hansen, who's been on the show and who's going to be in our upcoming summit, talks about this in terms of the three basic human needs, which are we need to feel safe, we need to feel connected, and we need to feel like we have enough resources. And when those feel threatened, we get into often into stress. So using a sort of awareness of how can we cultivate more safety in the present moment can be helpful. How can we turn towards connection and thinking about maybe using imagery of somebody that you love or actually taking more action to make sure we're keeping connected because the ways in which we are communicating with each other have really been altered by the pandemic. We're not, we don't hear the soothing voice or see the smiles in the same way that we used to. And then finally, being able to linger on, do I have enough resources in the here and now? Because I think people feel really threatened about the future and things, how long is this going to go on? How is this going to impact my business? And in the here and now, where can I feel enoughness in my body and really linger on that, embody that feeling of enoughness for 10 to 12 seconds so that it actually gets shifted into your brain and and your memory? Yeah, you know, I think to me, stress is 
part of life, right? We're never going to totally be stress-free. We wouldn't want to be stress-free. But I do think that sometimes when stress feels too high, we can actually look to that as a source of information about our needs, right? So sometimes actually stress can teach us that we're in a situation that's not good for us. Toxic levels of stress, you know, might be systemic. It might be that we've just been taking on too much. And I think sometimes actually stress can be an indicator that we need to make a change. We need to say no. We need to just recognize that this isn't because we're failing to to handle it all. It's because it's actually too much. And I think the pandemic is a great example of that, right? Like just to go easy on ourselves at times when it feels like, oh, I should I should be doing all these things. And it's like, actually, maybe it's okay that I'm not given the situation and how how highly stressful it is. Like, it's okay to say no, it's okay to let go of a few tasks. Yeah, I think part of that is if you're expecting yourself to be performing in the same way that you performed before a pandemic, you're going to constantly feel like you're not measuring up. And if you're expecting others to do that too, it can be it can be toxic for them. So yeah. we need to we need to look towards changing our expectations both for ourselves and for each other. Yeah, Diana, what are some of the ways you incorporate these practices into your work? It's interesting. I've been doing more yoga and breathing in my sessions than I've ever done before. And sometimes it's just doing a five count breath in and a five count breath out at the beginning of a session to orient ourselves and and actually activate that vagus nerve. That will be something I do quite frequently. I also am working a lot on uh, compassion and seeing compassion both for ourselves and for others as a way of regulating the threat and drive system. So that Paul Gilbert model of when we feel connected and interconnected, it actually makes us feel safer. So doing compassion-based exercises is another one. And then just a lot of present moment grounding stuff. How about yeah. you, Debbie? Similar. I mean, I think the main thing I do is just these kind of check-ins, having people turn their attention toward what's happening in their body as a way, again, of kind of grounding themselves in their, it's a, it's really a body-based mindfulness exercise. But I think when your mind is getting carried away with the stress of it all, that can be a really helpful practice to do the, just those simple embodiment exercises in the moment in therapy. Well, if you're stressed during this holiday season, we are thinking of you and we hope that you find something helpful in this conversation. And as Debbie would say, go easy on yourself. Rebecca Ledine has spent 25 years in the field of embodied well-being. After working in therapeutic mindfulness for 15 years, she studied mind-body medicine at Saybrook University and conducted clinical research in somatic self-regulation. Based on her research in mind-body medicine, her comprehensive training with the Somatic Experiencing Institute, and her decades of professional experience, she authored The Mind-Body Stress Reset with a foreword by Kathy Kane and endorsed by Peter Levine. In addition to her book, she has recorded several wellness CDs, appears on the radio and YouTube. As a somatic wellness specialist, she meets with clients online from all over the globe. Rebecca lives with her husband, two daughters, and their puppy dog in the San Francisco Bay Area. And her website is RebeccaLadine.com, which is R-E-B-E-K-K-A-H-L-A-D-Y-N-E.com. Welcome to the podcast, Rebecca. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Debbie. It's great to be here. 
So we're going to start with a conversation today about stress and overwhelm and using mind-body practices to help folks with that. And I just, before we dive in, I want to just let folks know that we will be doing an exercise, brief exercise at the end of the interview. So stay tuned if you want to try putting some of this into practice. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Great. So stress and overwhelm, this is something that a lot of folks are going to be familiar with. It seems like it's a maybe a very common, almost an epidemic of its own, right, Absolutely. in today's world. I do, yeah. I reference it in the book as its own pandemic. It's something that is so widespread, cross-cultural, happening to most of us. At some point in our lives, it will touch us. And now with what we're living through, Absolutely. It's touching more and more people all the time. It's really important that we gain some skills for how to help ourselves through difficult experiences. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you're doing this work. And actually, I'm wondering if you would mind sharing a little bit about your own personal story of how you became interested in this, because I think people will be able to relate to it. I know you share a little bit about it in your book. Absolutely. Sure. So, What happened for me is, um, I think it's pretty typical if you, a person listening, replace your own life experiences, the specifics of them with mine. It was a perfect storm of stress. It was um, stress compiling from many different parts of my life. And for me, what it was, um, was leaving a successful and satisfying career, having children, moving to a new state, and then finally ending up in a toxic work environment. So putting all of those things together created such an intense stress load that my system couldn't handle it, couldn't regulate through it, couldn't find how to come back. And so again, listeners, you'll have your own set of several events that create so much reactivity in your system that you find yourself overwhelmed with stress response, overwhelmed with how can I come back from this reactivity? How can I return to a disposition of okayness or a baseline that has me functioning? Um, But what I know about that now is that those experiences were really just waking what we could call the sleeping dragon. Those experiences were really just waking up years past reactivity that had been stored in my body. And those somatic memories were, I I like to think of them as they were just waiting for the right time. They were waiting for a moment in my life when I had capacity to work through them as I didn't have when they originally imprinted in my system as a young person. And they were waiting for a time when the stress actually was just similar enough, just similar enough and also heavy enough or intense enough to remind my system, hey, this is still here. This is still here and it hasn't been resolved. In the book, I liken it to a a child waiting quietly in the back of the class, not bothering anybody, wondering when will it be my turn to get my to get help, to get my questions answered. And in this case, the questions are: how can I learn how to recover from extreme stress reactivity? Um, at the time that any of us are going through this, 
I myself, the clients I've worked with, the colleagues I've talked to wonder, you know, why is this happening? What's wrong with me? I, I wish this wasn't happening. Of course, it's a painful experience. We're, we're all going to feel that way. But I think if we can create a little space in that to say, okay, this has been here. This has been here for a while and it's been waiting patiently for a chance to be processed, for a chance to um, gain efficacy over this experience. Let me use this to my advantage. Let me, I don't know if embrace is too strong a word, but but let me welcome the fact that this is happening and this is giving me a chance to become effective at stress resilience in a way that I wasn't when these imprints originally occurred for me. And so for most of us, that's early in our life. Um, and then these, these difficulties come up when we're adults. Many people say, you know, I don't really even understand why this is happening. The things that kind of tipped it off weren't, quote, that bad. Um, and, and so stress reactivity can function that way. Years later, decades later, we can have a handful of experiences that are, let's say, the, the number of them is sufficient to create overwhelm, or we can have an experience, one experience that is big enough that in and of itself it can create overwhelm, or it can just be repeated. There can be kind of medium high stress that's repeated for a long enough period of time that it creates overwhelm. And in any of those circumstances, we're going to wake up the sleeping dragon of of those things that we weren't able to process through earlier in our lives, that we didn't have self-efficacy, that we didn't have capacity, we didn't have autonomy, we didn't have agency in the ways we have now. And and this is now the chance to change those imprints. This is now the chance to make it function differently in our body and our mind. Okay, I see. So it's like there's something, the sleeping dragon is, um, it's like this is something that we can learn, but we sometimes just don't really bother because we're kind of holding it together. But then when either, whether it's a big traumatic stress or just that chronic stress, eventually it kind of starts to just take a toll, it sounds like. And yeah. Yeah. It's the, it, the three things I like to say are, it can be something that is just too big that happens. It can be things, a, a combination of things that are just too much or it can be too often. Mm. So too big, too much, too often are things that create or awaken stress imprints that are already there, that our body system, our mind system, lose the ability to effectively recover from. Okay. We all have stress, of course. It's part of life. It's part of living and engaging in things that matter to us. And it's not always a problem, but there is, I mean, I, I hear this word overwhelm a lot because I think there is something that can happen where the stress just becomes so much. Can you just describe a little bit about what, what does overwhelm really mean to you and how is it different from just the regular day-to-day -day stress that, of living a life? Yes. Overwhelm to me has to do with the experience of not having the ability to manage your own stress reaction. So, you know, I'm late for a meeting, 
I forgot my masks pandemic time. I'm trying to figure out how I can navigate this difficult situation and still get to the person that I need to meet outdoor and at distance. I'm going to have a stress reaction. I'm going to, my heart rate's going to increase. My body temperature might rise. I might feel some muscle tension. My mind start to, might start to work a little more quickly. No problem. This is a healthy, normal stress reaction. If I become overwhelmed by that experience, my body mind system is going to react in a way that isn't warranted by that situation. So I might begin to have a panic attack. I, you know, which I'm hyperventilating to the point of not being able to function. My, uh, I break into a cold sweat. I go into a freeze. I can't think. I can't remember where I'm going. I can't find solutions to my dilemma. Overwhelm is when the system is responding. Well, overwhelm is when the system can't take the stress reaction, the the stress that's occurring. Maybe there are too many external stresses that are occurring all at once and the system becomes overwhelmed by that. Or maybe there are too many internal stress responses happening all at once and the system becomes overwhelmed by that. So if you think of it as like a pot that's boiling over, maybe the pot is too full of contents. That's internal stress response. Or maybe the heat outside the pot is too high and I need to turn it down. So either I need to take some things out of the pot, I need to lessen those internal stress responses, or I need to turn the heat down outside. I need to figure out how to lessen what's happening around me. And those two things, the combination of them, create an experience where I can't respond in a way that is a helpful response. When I'm overwhelmed, when any of us is overwhelmed, our body-mind system is reacting in a way that isn't helpful. It's overreacting or underreacting, right? That's hyperactivation yeah. or hypoactivation. And then we're not, we're not effective. We're not meeting the situation with what it needs and what we need in order to be where we are with what's happening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We've had a number of guests on the show that we've been inspired by and that are offering you, our listeners, discounts on their programs. If you go to our website, offtheclockpsych.com, you'll be able to find coupon codes for the programs of Dr. Judson Brewer, Dr. Rick Hansen, and Jen Lumenlen. So go check it out at offtheclockpsych.com and start learning today. Can you tell us, so what do you mean by hyperactivation? What might that look like? And then the hypoactivation. Mm -hmm. So if I'm overwhelmed and I move into hyperactivation, my mind is going to race. My heart is going to pound. My stomach might move into knots and I'm going to move into fight or flight. Okay. So I'm going to try and battle my way through this experience. So if I'm like I was saying, driving down the highway and I realize I don't have masks and I'm late to the person I need to meet. 
I might start to drive like a maniac and shout at every other car on the road. And we've all seen drivers like that. That's Mm -hmm. a person in hyperactivation. They are struggling to manage their reactivity. I might then, you know, cut off someone and park my car in the spot they were waiting patiently for, hyperactivation. I might get out of the car and start grumbling or kind of dismissing the people around me. I was in downtown in the town I live in yesterday and someone shouted at me and my daughters as we were standing on the sidewalk. They were parking their car. We weren't doing anything in their direction, but they were in a state of hyperactivation. Okay. So it's just to recognize, okay, stress levels are high right now everywhere. And let's just go inside the bookstore that we're standing in front of, right? But hyperactivation is going to move someone into fight. So the other option for hyperactivation is they might move into flight. And if you're moving into flight reactivity, your whole body is urging you to get out of the situation that you're in. So you might drop the appointment that you're going to altogether. That's, that's a no show, right? Or you, we can, that's an external flight where I just disappear and don't complete the task. But there's also an internal flight where I kind of just disappear. I kind of just disconnect from what's happening. I'm, I'm meeting someone, but I'm not really there. We've all had that happen either to us or within us. So those are the hyperactivation ends of reactivity. And I, one of the words that you used to describe it that I, I love because I think it really is accurate. You, at one point in your book, you call it kind of spinning out. Mm-hmm. And I have heard that from a lot of people where it just feels like mm-hmm. when you're in that, that kind of fight or flight mode, it's like you're spinning, you know, the whole world just feels like you can't even kind of focus and make sense of it. Yeah. That's it. Exactly. And so it's another way to think about it is it's all gas. Okay. So Mm -hmm. spinning, you're spinning in circles with your foot, just pedal to the metal gas. Okay. On the other end of the spectrum, hypoactivation, that's our freeze and shutdown. So I'm going down the road. I'm realizing I'm late, I don't have masks, I freeze, I panic, I I can't solve the problem, I don't know what I'm going to do in order to get through this dilemma or situation. In a freeze, I like to distinguish between these two. There's a subtle difference. In a freeze, my external presentation is that I'm I'm statue still, hoping no one will notice me evolutionarily. I'm just like, if they can't see me because they can't locate me because of my stillness, maybe this whole thing will end and I'll be fine, right? Um, There are many predators that can't recognize their prey if they're not moving. So evolutionarily, we just hold still, hold our breath and hope it all passes quickly. But under that freeze, there's actually tremendous activation. So it looks like the brake is being slammed on, but there's so much fear coursing through that system. There's so much reactivity coursing through that system. That's the stuff that tends to wake you up at two in the morning later, is that unresolved hyper response buried under all of that frozen, freezy stillness, okay? The further end of that spectrum is shut down. That's where you are so stressed, you you hardly know where you are, who you are, or what you're trying to do. That's when you just can't think clearly. You hardly know what's going on. You can't solve the problem. There's disconnection to you, to the people around you, to the circumstance. It's a very 
difficult state to be in. And it's, there's almost no functioning available to you. And people feel very stuck in that state. Like they want to be effective and they want to have agency, but there's this disconnecting shutdown that overtakes them. That's what happens when the system is so overwhelmed by stress that the only thing the system can think to do is just turn off its awareness of the stress, just completely disconnect from everything that's happening and, you know, kind of go into a hibernation state ready to come out when it's all over. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I just can think of some examples where maybe a little bit less extreme, but where people just are sort of checked out, you know, you can tell they're not quite processing what's happening. I mean, it probably happens to all of us from time to time. All of these things happen to all of us from time to time and they're normal and they're even healthy. There are circumstances in which we would want to have each of these responses. However, when they happen in situations where they're not warranted and when they happen repeatedly, when they seem to be our go-to, that's something that our body is telling us. There's dysregulation in this system. I'm responding to normal life events like the house is on fire and I need to do something to change that. Right. So, you know, I talk about in the book, if you're answering emails or paying bills or just trying to make an appointment with a friend and you're moving into extreme stress reactivity, your body's telling you something. It's telling you that when it wants to engage slightly, just enough to answer an email, just enough to make an appointment, your body goes into all systems go reactivity, like you're saying, into complete spinning. That's where we lose our capacity to modulate. We lose that subtle responsiveness that we need to be effective and and to feel good in our life circumstances. Being in extreme stress reactivity it feels painful on whichever end of the spectrum you're on. It's a, it's a painful, uncomfortable experience because our body thinks our life is in danger. And that's not something that you just kind of sit down and relax from after it's all over. That's really, it's taxing in a way that those of us that have lived through it can understand. Any of you out there, you if you know the experience of deep depletion, deep exhaustion after what seem like just normal life events, that's your body moving into extreme stress reactivity and it's taking a toll. We want to learn how to modulate our experience, how to just have the response that's needed, show up in a way that our body can handle and our mind can be alert and engaged, but not in fear or in like we're saying, disconnection. Is that what you call in your book functional activation, that state that you're talking about? Tell us a little bit more about that. What does that look like? Yeah. So we've just talked about kind of above and below, right? Hyperactivation is this really high level of reactivity. Hypoactivation is this very low level. In the middle, there's functional activation because activation isn't negative. That's what I really want to underscore. Peter Levine talks about this in his work. Stephen Porges talks about this. Activation is aliveness. Activation is when we're having fun. Activation is when we're engaging and talking with friends. Activation is when we're going to an event that we're excited about. Activation is even just alertness, the alertness that draws you into a good book. Okay. And so functional activation is when you are engaged, when you are present, when you feel your body is awake and alive, when you're, when you're in that kind of pleasant, present moment experience. 
That's functional activation. And we want access to that. We're not trying to go through the world on some kind of dull, subdued, you know, monotone experience. But for people for whom this stress reactivity is really deeply imprinted, it's a very deep physiological habit. When they move into some kind of engagement, what we would call functional activation, it can tip them very easily into that hyper or hypo place. So one person I worked with gave me this you know, example. It's happened to many people I've learned since then. Several clients have talked to me about this, is going to a concert. I mean, now no one's going to concerts, but we all remember when we would go to a concert. It's an exciting event. You get your tickets in advance. You plan the evening. It's something to look forward to. And the excitement of going to do something that you've been looking forward to and that you know kind of brings this whole-bodied awakeness tips a person into. One of my clients had a panic attack at a concert. He was just there, ready to hear his favorite song, and the increase in his heart rate, and the even the way that we become in a negative light, we call it hypervigilant, but in a positive light, we call it attentive. Even in the way we become attentive to seeing and hearing can feel to our stress system like, hmm, am I beginning to scan? Am I beginning to vigilantly watch my environment? And it tipped him into a hyperactivated state. There is a, an interesting study of combat veterans who were sent into a safe environment to exercise. And so they were jogging in the woods. And once their heart rate got to a certain level, body temperature to a certain degree, breathing rate increased to a certain degree, they moved into hyperactivation. They were jogging in the woods in a safe, beautiful environment. This was a purely physical cue that sent them into a response similar to what they experienced in combat. So our body sends messages to our brain. Hey, my heart rate is increasing to a certain degree. Is there danger lurking? Hey, I'm starting to hyperventilate. Even if the ventilation is because I'm running healthfully through the forest, is there something happening here that I need to be aware of? Our body is sending messages up to our brain all day long, all the time. And so if we're a person for whom these stress reactive states are really available, as I talk about in the book, our body might send messages that cue extreme reactivity when all we're doing is exercising or all we're doing is going to a concert or for some people, you know, all we're doing is giving a presentation at work, right? So we need to pay attention to, do I have access to functional activation? Can I stay embodied and present and feeling safe and calm enough and okay enough, but still be engaged, but still feel like I'm really with what is happening. I don't have to disconnect in order to stay safe, nor do I have to battle my way through it in order to stay safe, right? That's the freeze shutdown side or the fight flight side. But that I can actually just be there, really present, really with my life. That's, I mm. think, what we want. That's, I think, what this extreme stress reactivity is keeping us from. Yeah. yeah. Keeping us from yeah. being able to really be where we are. 
And your approach really harnesses, again, the body, you know, the mind-body, you call it the mind-body stress reset. And before we talk about that, I just, I think often, though, when we're feeling stressed, when we're feeling overwhelmed, we try to think our way out of it. And for example, for those of us who occasionally find ourselves late at night, just the mind is you know, trying really hard to figure this out, right? So we get really into overthinking about it and we're trying to solve our stress problem, you know, intellectually. Why do you think that those types of approaches can sometimes just miss the mark in terms of what's Absolutely. happening? Yes. This is such a great question. So there we are, some of us in the middle of the night and the mind is spinning. As we were talking about before, spinning indicates to our stress system Hmm, I wonder if something's wrong. As we were talking about before, the body's sending messages, right? So the body and the mind are constantly communicating with one another about the level of okayness, the level of safety that we feel is available to us. If my mind is spinning, my body's going to cue into that and wonder, is something mm, happening around me that shouldn't be happening around me just from the rumination, just from the way I'm mentally hypervigilant at that time. So that's the first thing is that mental rumination and hypervigilance is going to send cues to my body that something might be wrong. The other thing that happens is that our stress reactivity is designed to go through experience that have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And if I'm lying in my bed, spinning in circles, there's no end to that reactivity, okay? So I don't see something difficult, respond to it with intensity, and then finish. In the book, I talk about how evolutionarily, Robert Sapolsky explains, we're meant to flee from a predator and then recognize we've gotten away, we're safe, find a good place to settle down take a breath, congratulate ourselves for our earned safety, and rest. When we're laying in bed in the middle of the night, ruminating, we don't get to that place. We don't get to the end. The third difficulty is that we have these incredible imaginations. And these incredible imaginations can take us to wonderful places and invent all kinds of things that we human beings have invented over this period of time. But they can also take us to terrible destinations. Okay, And what's unfortunate is that when we are in a state of stress, we are tuned into negative bias and our mind is going to jump to worst case scenarios, negative conclusion over and over again. And each of those worst case scenarios that plays out in our mind is going to alert our stress system. Again, things really are going south. Then a more difficult what if is going to pop into the mind that circles back into the body and around and around it goes amplifying our stress. So because of these dispositions, this is evolution playing out in our body, in our modern night, in our bed at two in the morning. But because of these evolutionary dispositions, trying to think our way through it and solve it right there while lying still is intensely stressful for our system. Mm -hmm. So what can we do? Let's think about doing the opposite. Okay. So let's start with our imagination. We can recognize, wow, I really am in a negative bias mind state right now. Let me, I like to talk about evening the scales, right? If you think about the old fashioned scales, we have a basket on each side. 
The basket of negative what ifs, this is really heavy. (laughs) We've definitely covered that one in spades. Can I bring in some positive what ifs? And this isn't Pollyanna-ish. I'm not pretending everything's rosy and perfect, but I'm just evening out what's running through my mind and therefore running through my body. So, So I'm just wanting to even out what's happening in my body and my mind. Can I can I consider how it might go okay, whatever it is that I'm ruminating about? And if my mind is willing to, maybe I'll just let myself imagine a positive outcome. What I talk about in the book is that negative images have a tremendous impact on our body-mind system, but positive images do also. So if we let ourselves picture something going really well, and then let ourselves feel ha, how did that impact me? Then I'm referring back to the first one I talked about, which is what's going on in our mind has a deep impact on what's going on in our body. And I let myself feel, yeah, that one feels really good. That version of things calms me at two in the morning. Then I'm changing that body-mind conversation for the better. I'm changing it not to pretend, like I said, that everything's perfect and rosy, but that I can soothe my system that I can let myself come back to a state that it probably is a more balanced response. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow with such and such, whatever I'm worried about. Can I let my system feel the potential for okayness as equally as it's already focused on the potential for not okayness, right? And with that self-regulation, then I can get back to sleep, wake up in the morning and respond instead of react from some kind of doomsday experience or body-mind state. Yeah, Yeah. it's almost like you're broadening your perspective to look. I think we get into this tunnel vision around the, like you said, the worst case scenario. We love to do this at 2 a.m. And then you're kind of taking a look, you know, kind of expanding into other possibilities as well. That's exactly it, Debbie. In yeah. in the book, I, I talk exactly about that tunnel vision that you're referencing. And our mind is designed to move into tunnel vision when we're in states of high stress. If I was being chased by a predator, I'm not going to look around and notice the beautiful foliage. I need to focus solely on that predator. So I tune everything else out for my survival. And when I am actually in a life-threatening circumstance, I say, great, let me move into tunnel vision and be really effective and save myself. However, when I'm not in life-threatening circumstances, this tunnel vision is a detriment, as you're saying. We need to, I call it the end also, we need to widen out and ask ourselves, and also what else is happening? And also what else am I aware of? So simple, but very effective. If I'm lying in bed at two in the morning, and also what else is happening? Oh, I feel the comfort of the mattress beneath me. And also what else is happening? My blankets are warm. And also what else is happening? It's quiet outside my window. And also what else is happening? I'm orienting to my environment in this case, which is one of the skills I talk about in the book. And then I'm going to orient to my my bodily experience. And also I feel there's just a little bit of ease in my belly as I focus on the quiet outside my window. And also, there's just a little bit less tension in my jaw or my neck. 
as I feel the mattress underneath me. So I want to change the body-mind conversation from first I was focused on, oh my gosh, this is going to fail or this is going to be a catastrophe. And my body was contracting and I was just in that negative loop of things feeling worse and then my mind mentally sounding worse. Let's do the opposite. I call this a positive feedback loop. I feel the mattress. Ah, then I notice my shoulders soften and I begin to be aware there's, like you're saying, I can widen out and see what else might be possible with this circumstance that I'm worried about. You know, even as you're talking, my dog keeps barking and I was getting this stress response, but you're talking about just kind of checking in with what you're noticing. And I was just feeling that kind of happening because I'm sitting here thinking, why is she barking? You know what I mean? I can feel that happening. And so it's kind of nice to hear you just kind of tune in and say, okay, what else is here besides the dog barking? Yeah. Beautiful. And so those, that's such a good example because, you know, we're having this conversation. We want the sound recording to be good. The dog is barking and you have a momentary reaction. And then all of your great self-regulation comes on board and you ask yourself, what else is happening? And as you were describing, our listeners can't see it, but I see you settle down into your seat, right? There was ease in your body. You have access to all that great self-regulation. You're embodying that return to okayness right here before our very eyes. This is really valuable for us to talk about because it can be a period in our life where enough things happen in a row that are about as stressful as a dog barking during a podcast interview, but they keep happening and they keep happening and we don't access our somatic regulation. We don't access our return to okayness and suddenly not very much feels okay anymore. So that's what I'm really talking about with the mind-body stress reset is if you listeners have lived through or are currently living through a period of your life where your body keeps feeling like things aren't okay, things aren't safe enough, things aren't in a, things aren't allowing you to feel welcome in your experience, that is a level of stress reactivity that you shouldn't have to live through, that you shouldn't have to push through. Let's get you some tools so that you can access your somatic regulation. You can return to well-being and recover from these normal everyday things that happen in human existence that facilitate that create reactivity. Yeah, your your approach is really that's kind of what it's about, right? Just tuning more into your body, your direct felt experience. And I think one thing I've noticed for myself and and you know, sometimes in my work with clients, I I we work on this too, but is that there is something about just settling in, just kind of paying attention to what's happening in the body that really does you know, there's a shift that happens. Um, So I was just wondering if you could kind of briefly tell us kind of an overview of this approach and and some of the kinds of things you do. And also, you know, just a bit more about why that helps with this stress and overwhelm. Yeah. Let me start with the brain because you were kind of talking about something that really relates to this fascinating neural pathway that we can access. And then I'll talk more broadly about a somatic approach. So what you're saying is, um, It's really true. Settling into the body can have a profound effect on us 
And I want to put a caveat to that after we've developed those resilience pathways. So for people who are listening, who are thinking, well, I try to settle into my body and it doesn't help at all. Yes, that is absolutely true. If you are living in extreme stress, just turning to the body isn't going to feel like enough. You need to develop those resilience pathways. And there are numerous tools, 10 or 12 tools in the book that I talk about that you can work with on your own that really do help repair your resilience pathways that really do help you return to an experience of feeling that coming into a embodied experience is one that soothes the system. So I want to say it's not inherent, but it is something that we can earn or develop in our system. Okay. So the mind, this incredible medial prefrontal cortex, right? This middle front brain has these two channels that kind of can go off in one of two directions. And this is something that I learned by studying the work of Bessel van der Kolk. We can move into on one branch, what we were just talking about, which is rumination. And the research shows it's often self-directed criticism that this particular kind of rumination that intensifies reactivity in the system. So I can kind of worry about myself and criticize myself and my own experience and move into states of stress reactivity, or the medial prefrontal cortex can do this other incredible thing, which is somatic self-sensing. If I'm tuned into sensing my body, but not just anything in my body, because I could sense tension in my stomach, heart pounding, tense jaw, and that would send me into more reactivity. But if I can move into somatic self-sensing that is soothing, if I can learn how to notice, like we were saying, the end also, my feet feel okay right now. My eyebrows are relaxed. And I mean that it's sometimes I work with clients and I say, is there any part of your body that's a little less reactive, a little less tense than another? And they say, my nose. And that's where we start. (laughs) We start with the tip of my nose is a little less tense than my stomach, my chest, my back, my what have you. So if we can tune in somatically to what's okay, or even just okay-ish, as I talk about in the book. That's where we start, if that's where we start. We can send these important messages to the brain that we don't need to invest in that branch of rumination. We don't need to continue to reflect on what we might have done wrong, or what so-and-so might have done wrong, what might be just going wrong, that we all know what rumination sounds like. So this is this this powerful tool because the medial prefrontal, it doesn't do both at the same time. So we're kind of saying, hey, instead of moving into rumination, how about we move into somatic awareness instead, specifically somatic awareness of what's okay, what's safe enough, what's pleasant enough. So that's this one part of why this this particular approach is so effective. There really are neural connections and and explanations for it. The other thing is that our body responds to our environment and to even images of our environment, what we think might be happening before our mind does. Our body is actually our first responder team. And then our mind comes in and starts to tell us stories about it or make sense of it. Our our mind is a meaning-making machine. So if our body has a response that is... um, quick fire 
a gut sense something's not okay here, our mind's going to do something valuable, which is assess the situation and figure out how to get out of it, what to do to remain safe. But if my, uh, so Stephen Porges calls this neuroception. This is our embodied perception of our environment. If that's nervous system perception, if my body is inaccurate, if my body is in a state of hyperactivation and I'm vigilant and tunnel visioned, as we were saying, for things that are not okay, and there's just one part of the environment that's a little questionable, but I key in on it, my body's going to tell me things aren't okay in situations in which they actually are. Okay. And because it's the first responder, I'm going to find myself in more and more circumstances where I feel, and I do mean we really feel it's all very real. We feel like things aren't okay, but we need to repair that neuroceptive system. We need to heal it so that it can more accurately perceive through the body what's happening around us. So when we're in extreme stress reactivity. When we live in that state, many, many things feel like they're not safe enough. And again, I've lived this. I know what this is like. And even though my my mind was saying, hey, you know what? Things really are okay. I promise you they are. My body was unconvinced. That's how I came to this place where I needed to find how can I access something that's going to convince my body, not my mind. My brain knows things are okay, but my body does not. That's what's so different about a somatic approach is most of the clients, all the clients that I've worked with, they of course recognize to some degree or to a, a large degree that their stress reaction system isn't accurate, but they can't seem to find a way to talk themselves out of that stress reaction. So what a somatic approach does is it really helps you slowly heal that neuroceptive system by repairing the way that your body feels about the situations it's in. It's too much for me to deduce to a few sentences, but what I can say is we can't talk our way out of, and we can't think our way out of a physical stress reaction, a physical fear reaction, or a physical shutdown reaction. We have to go into the body and help our body recover the felt experience, the lived experience of accessing safety, of really embodying well-being. What I, the reason I wrote the book is because I wanted folks to know I was in graduate school. I researched with a group of people can these skills be taught? Can people self administer somatic skills? So I developed the protocol called the Mind Body Reset and tested it out with a group of people. And the answer was unequivocally yes. The group had very good responses. And we discovered yes, you can learn these tools and teach your body how to recover from stress response, how to somatically engage in the world in a way that feels good, feels safe, feels present and aware and awake, but not overwhelmed, not overstimulated, and, and not kind of distanced and behind as if you're living behind glass. 
Yeah, wonderful. I mean, people should definitely check out your book with, you know, you have some breathing practice, some movement practices, some different ways of checking in with the body. And to wrap up, you had offered to give just a small flavor of that, just one brief exercise. And of course, there's much more to it. So people can can reach out, can check out your book to learn yeah. more, find I'd a somatic therapist, you know, but mm-hmm. yeah, just give us a little flavor for what this, this is approach is like. I'd love to. I'm so glad we're going to do this because we could talk about it all day, but unless someone has a felt experience of it, it won't mean that much. That's right, so. you got experience, and that's we've been talking. About <laughs> that's right. So <laughs> wonderful. What the mind can do. Yeah, yes. I'm so glad you saved time for this. So let's go through a brief exercise that I do with many of the people I work with, and that I myself do in shorter and longer versions throughout the day. This is just something simple that you can take with you, and it touches on several of the pathways that can help us return to a felt sense of ease, a felt sense of well-being. So together, we're going to go through a few practices. They're just short and brief touching in on somatic regulation. And I want you listeners to play with this and see which of them is actually most soothing for you because each body-mind system will find its own approaches that are most satisfying at one particular time or over the long haul. They remain more effective for you. So feel your way into this and, and see what's right for you right now or in general. So let's begin by focusing on our breath and taking a few long breaths with complete exhales, okay? Really allowing the breath out to be full and complete, and then relaxing and letting the next breath in happen on its own. And begin to notice what happens in your body with those long exhales. Begin to notice how that feels in your body. Shift your awareness now to your seat. Paying attention to the surface underneath you and the surface behind you. Noticing if there are places where you're able to release into those surfaces. Feeling as if you can let gravity move through you. See if there's any part of your body where you feel rooted or pleasantly weighted. Like you're really sitting into the seat, the surface, or standing onto the surface that you're on right now. And just notice how that feels. And now let's shift awareness to the soundscape. Letting yourself hear any sounds in the environment that are neutral or maybe even pleasing. Just noticing if there's anything the ears can take in that they enjoy. And sense how that feels. What's it like to pay attention to the soundscape? Is there anywhere in the body where it's a 
comfortable experience or maybe just a neutral experience. And now let's pay attention to the visual landscape. Letting your eyes take a look around your environment to see something they enjoy. Notice what it's like to let your eyes rest on something that's pleasing. Maybe it's something in the room that you're in or outside if you're in a room or just outside wherever you are. See what it's like to have the eyes take in something they enjoy. And then again, just return to how this feels in the body. What's it like right now? Can you sense anywhere that's pleasant? Or if pleasant isn't available, anything that's mostly okay. We'll take that. We'll start with whatever's here that's not distressing. We'll just mostly okay. Great. Let's start there. So I myself feel a shift each time I go through those things. Debbie, I'm wondering how that impacted you. What was that like? Yeah, it really did change my focus. I started to notice the world around me. I'm noticing beautiful scenery out of my window and it did. Yeah. I just felt much more kind of calm and centered. I nice. really appreciate sharing that exercise with us. I'm so glad. Yeah. And so listeners, pay attention to how that impacted you because going through our somatic self-regulation skills, that's kind of step one, but then taking in the positive impact of them is very important step two. Letting yourself feel the experience of increased regulation, of increased okayness, that's what imprints it into the body. That's what lets our body remember, oh, this is a place I can find. This is a place I can return to. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Listeners, I hope you found that enjoyable and can take a moment to appreciate that and let it imprint a little. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much for this conversation, Debbie. It was great to talk with you today. Oh, it was wonderful. Thank you, Rebecca. Really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. If you enjoy our podcast, you can help us out by leaving a review or contributing on Patreon. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, and you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd like to thank our strategic consultant, Michael Harold, and our interns, Katie Rothfelder and Melissa Miller. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you're having a mental health emergency, dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources page of our webpage, offtheclockpsych.com.